This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Good afternoon, friends, or morning, or evening, or whenever you're, or middle of the night. Welcome back to the Revenue Real Hotline. For anybody that's listened to probably more than like a, a fraction of one episode, you guys know that mental health and sales is a conversation near and dear to my heart, mostly because I made a lot of mistakes and also learned a ton about what to do better and what I could have done better. And so ah, that's what makes this next conversation so special um, because today we have Dr. Aaron Weiss with us. And Erin is a cognitive behavior therapist. She's level three certified um, cognitive behavior therapy, think sports psychologist, but this is, in my experience, the most effective kind of therapy that there is, something that Erin affirms. It's also why she chose this practice. Erin is also the the co-host of the Psych and Sales podcast, which she does with her husband, David Weiss, who was a leader over at Outreach and is now a leader at at Seismic, both exceptional companies. And the two of them are hysterical, right? And so the show is exceptional. And this this conversation is exceptional. And it it bridges the gap between therapy and mental health with selling. We talk cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT. We and what both what it is and why it rocks for sellers. We talk about the connection of mind and body. We talk recovery and le- relapse and the power of routines. We talk neuroplasticity and hypervigilance. We talk about separating self worth from our, our performance and our number. We talk misinformation about all things mental health. We talk redefining the definition of success. We talk management skill development on the mental health front. We talk eliminating distractions and driving learning and knowledge retention. We talk about publishing books. My gosh, <laughs> they're like one of my favorite topics these days. We talk about Aaron's new book. Um, it's an anxiety book for, for kids, actually, interestingly enough. And we talk change and how sellers can take these principles and learn to iterate on their own mentals in a way that is more mind-blowing friends that you could possibly imagine. Really though, friends, we talk human and isn't that what it's about? And so with that, I'm going to stop talking about this episode and just like dive right in because I mean, I, if anybody has any thoughts, questions, comments, definitely give us a ring at the hotline at 646-470-0248. That's 646-470-0248. Naturally, if you hear any value in things that we discuss, do tell a friend. I take that as the highest compliment. I'm your host, Amy Rehubchek. This is the Revenue Real Hotline. I give you the great Dr. Erin Weiss. Enjoy. Hi. Hi. <laughs> jumping right in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, there is no curtain here at the Revenue Real Hotline. <laughs> Dr. Erin Weiss co-host of the fabulous Psychic Sales podcast, best-selling author, PhD in cognitive behavior therapy, the best, coolest, most effective kind of therapy in my experience and opinion. Uh, 
I don't want to even say wife of like David Weiss, who for listeners, this is a, this is a leader. He was over at Outreach for a while. Also now I think it's Seismic. Seismic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Aaron, who puts up with him and has, has born <laughs> children. <laughs> what do we even call that? But anyway, welcome to the show, Aaron. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to, to be here. Oh my gosh. I'm so listeners, full disclosure, this is the second time that um, Aaron and I are recording because I, which I think Aaron, I, I think is a positive thing. So Aaron was one of the first waves of conversations that I had and the computer that I was working with was not designed to, you know, grill. I, I did, well, didn't expect to need like such heavy um, processing and memory, all this shit. Anyway, so I lost. This is what I'm saying. This is where I'm going, right? It's a very long-winded and sad sex story about how I lost the files. And so I had to grovel. Um, but also, Aaron, I'm remembering the conversation with you guys and Jeff or, uh, Jeff uh, Bajoric talking about how when you guys launched, did the same we thing. We had the same problem, yeah. <laughs> we did. We lost a handful of them and... We didn't even get them all we recorded. We, we did several of them, but there were a couple people who we weren't able to get back in touch with and it was kind of disappointing, but you did not have to grovel. Um, I completely understand. It, these things happen, technology. I, I guess this is a good way to say that this space, this is a judgment-free zone. This is a mistake-friendly zone. Yes. This is a tangent-friendly zone. And the only rule is that there are no rules <laughs> other than that we keep it very real around here and with that Erin and also I'm glad that we're doing this again when when I'm a little bit further along on my skill like learning curve mm -hmm. because you deserve nothing but like the best oh. version of of me and this show and or you know, it's still, it's annoying, right? And I too, so Tim Clark, I'm so sorry, please come on the show again. And Francois, I'm not gonna stop asking until you like come and re-record. <laughs> um, but that said, I am so flipping excited. Okay, so Erin, have you listened to any of the episode, uh, any of the shows yet? Do you I know what you- I should have, I'm sorry. No, I no, no. <laughs> this is not all, the, the next sentence there is, do you have any idea what you've gotten yourself involved in? I don't have any idea. And that's why I should have listened to give myself an idea what to expect. Well, I, I'll go back to, you know, after having or living and operating and, and nailing it as a, a part, like a true partnership with, with David, like I, it's good. It's you, it's something tells me you'll be able to handle it just fine. <laughs> also, I, 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 it doesn't, I, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't give a shit, but however, I, so now I know what to inform you. So the, the experienced or the target audience is the experienced tech seller. Okay. The theme of the show, uncomfortable conversations in sales. Yes. Of which I'm sure you, and I will have plenty to choose from. <laughs> um, the, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, I generally I reserve the final 10 minutes um, to ask one question. And I'm, I'll let you know what it is. So just in advance, it's the, um, what's the hardest conversation that you've ever had to have? Most uncomfortable conversation in a revenue context. So that includes 
even with, so I say this with, with, when I'm like toss it out to people like that includes like spouses or children, because there are trickle down effects or ripple effects of not allowing mental health into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time, I know you have your own practice. And so there's a, a growing and scaling and hacking and, or, you know, revenue component to the business that, that you're building and, and developing on top of all the other, you know, like uh, fabulous aspects of who you are and what you represent. Um, so that's the final question. And then there's a, like, what's one piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations. So that's at the end. Okay. Um, I have a list here of things that I've written down of topics that we could possibly discuss how generally how I'll do it is I'll read the list and then you choose where you'd like to begin, including something that's not on the list. But I want to, we're going to try something different here. Okay. Given that we've had multiple interactions, including a fabulous conversation on your show. Okay. And what you know about my story and my, like how cognitive behavior therapy was just, it was like next level for me. Right. And so, um, I I'd like to hear if you had like kind of soft marked things to possibly talk about before I read my list to you. And it's totally cool if you had not, but I am curious. I kind of came in with this open mind of whatever you feel like you, your listeners would benefit from. I'm, I'm happy to answer. So yeah, I hadn't really come in with an agenda other than, you know, to, throw out what my current, you know, products that are out there are for people who are interested because I did not have things when, when we spoke last, my book was still in development and it hadn't been released yet. Oh, it's not the number one bestseller for children's health books right now for new releases for children's health books. It was still in development. Still there right now, but it was on and off of that list. The first oh, Aaron, receive that damn compliment. You were, you will always yeah. be a, a new number one on the new release. So maybe it's not a new release anymore. Okay. So here's my list. Okay. Okay. So obviously it's the anxiety relief book for kids. I say this often that I, I wish that I knew more about my brain and ADHD and how it was different and the hypersensitivity. Like I, I, if I, I would give a, like a, a finger an appendage even possibly to be able to like turn back time and learn those things, learn these things about feelings, emotions, whatever as a child. Right. But you know, what's done is done. However, but anyway, so I think that this mission on the book stuff, this is why it's number one. So clearly we could talk more about that. Number two, brain plasticity, this idea that people are, well, one that, that, brains can change and they can change very quickly. Neuro um, plasticity, mm -hmm. um, neural pathways created. And I think when I marry that with the myth of like the talent scarcity or like the, with, with what we get boxed into careers based on like the hiring system right now, they, they look mm -hmm. for lookalikes. Right. And so this, so everyone seems to disregard this idea that talent is not a scarce resource. And that, that the, that's our organizations and that's ourselves as people. And so talking about that, I think would be a lot of fun um, and specifically how quickly it can change. So listeners, seller friends, like none of us were born sellers. Well, maybe, maybe David. There might was, be a small but, number of people yeah, out there who were, who were born sellers. Or but, yeah. that were raised from by sales leaders that were. Yeah, like our, my, my son is, is heading in that direction already. He can <laughs> 
Let me overcome that objection. Let me find a loophole here that I can exploit. <laughs> um, well, I don't think you knew this. I was raised by a sales leader. And oh, yeah. yeah. And so I, um, we were asked at the kitchen table every night, when did you feel uncomfortable today? And the analogy that was used in grade school was butterflies in the stomach. And it wasn't very, uh, there, my dad wasn't very soft about the fact that if we had not felt those butterflies, that day that we had not grown. And so like, I, I do joke about, but like, but even so that's neuroplasticity. Those were during developmental years too. So, you know. Right, it's not something to avoid. It's something to lean into and learn and from. Yeah. yeah, and so you redefine how you interpret the nerves. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, but like even thinking of the show, conversations about uncomfortable conversations, like what, the more that we have them, the more comfortable we become operating outside of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, so I, I feel for your, your, your son, <laughs> good luck trying to get in front of that one. But, you know, like as I, as I was coached and told when I was choosing a career, my dad's like that these skills are very transferable. And so to sell is also human. So the good news is that whether or not he does choose this profession, he'll be able to apply the mindset that he's learned and you guys have cultivated anywhere. Okay. So the, the third one is an overview of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, um, just for our listeners about, so not all therapies created equal and how life-changing it can be to seek out uh, a CBT, uh, a, a professional that's like a I know you have a PhD. I don't know how strongly you feel about like the master's versus the PhD or any kind of the certifications, but seeking out a true um, CBT master, I guess you could say, and yeah. why that's worth it. Yeah. And, and I don't think that it has to be a PhD necessarily. I think it's more about the amount of training that someone has had in, in the area because there's some master's level clinicians who are really great. Perfect. Okay. The next one is frontline manager skill development as it relates to coaching and understanding the psychological impacts of okay. the job, right? So this is a topic that's trending and also critical. So most of us are operating in, in like pretty toxic workspaces, you know, and I think the, one of the root causes here is the skill development on the frontline manager stuff. And so getting your thoughts on that, like what that looks like and the connections between like performance coaching um, and like, you know, a, a performance therapy practice, like, like CBT that works on your mentals. Um, obviously being married to David and this, and a seller and, and all the things and an ADHD human. So all the things keeping in mind that I too am one. So like the, <laughs> both of those things those actually, things, yes, <laughs> but yeah, but so from a family perspective, like there's a, there's an, that's a, that's a topic that we don't talk about often enough, but that's on the list, making space at work for humans that have, I, what is it? What's a good word? Non-typical brains. Right. Um, I think of like yeah. bipolar or ADHD, like having there's zero understanding of what the differences are or how, and, or how, uh, you know, we, how judgy we can become mm -hmm. based on no information, like no understanding and, or like, maybe there is some onus of responsibility to create some systems and environments where in the same way that we would create ramps for a wheelchair, you know? And so right. this is also a topic that I've been thinking deeply about that I, I'm curious if you have thoughts on. 
empathy skills towards self. So a lot of talk right now going on about developing empathy skills and, but it's almost always about others, right? Applying empathy towards others, which mm -hmm. is important. However, I also happen to think that learning how to apply empathy to ourselves, number one, number yeah. one is that's a precursor to being able to maintain empathy towards others. Mm -hmm. And then of course the, you know, hitting the number one new release, um, for children's health books, which is baller, that that process of learning, seeing a gap in, in a message, an important critical message, and deciding not to wait for somebody else to try to fill it and to mm -hmm. do it, which is so admirable. And however, I am curious about what your thoughts are on the, you know, what what that journey has been like start to finish. I have a parenting class now too. That's that's the other thing that has happened since we talked last. A really? digital parenting course. Okay. Yes. The episode, when you do choose to listen to a hotline episode, <laughs> I would go with uh, the Anya Domian, the Anya, sh you know, shows up for parents. Okay. So that's it. Where would you like to begin? Oh my goodness. There's so much great stuff there. Um, and I feel like there's all, they're all, maybe not all, most of them are interrelated. Um, especially when you talk about like the CBT and the neuroplasticity, I think a lot of that really goes together because that's one of the let's ways. Let's start. Yeah, can, let's start with that. Why yeah. don't Why don't you um, give our listeners a crash course on what CBT is, why it's different, and then the level of sort of what is it the number level two that you've got? Three. Three level three. I'm so yeah. sorry. So that when our okay. listeners are thinking about these um, matching decisions for themselves right? And how far they're willing to drive on a regular basis or, you know, but why it's worth it. Um, mm -hmm. even down to that, those levels as well. So sure. then I'm going to go on mute. Okay. So cognitive behavioral therapy is based on the idea that our thoughts and our behaviors and our feelings are all interrelated and, um, that we can impact how we feel by changing the way that we think or the way that we behave in a situation. Sometimes we can directly target the feelings as well, but that's a little bit harder. Usually we go in through thoughts and through actions. Would you add body sensations to that? Yes. yes. I would add body sensations. Thank you. Okay. That. Continue. Yeah. Um, and body sensations are kind of a, a clue to how we're feeling a lot of the time. And then we can use our different behavior sometimes to help adjust those body sensations as well, or how we're interpreting the body sensations. So, you know, is my heart beating fast because I'm scared or because I'm excited? Um, our interpretation is going to make a, a difference in how we choose to interpret and go forward with the situation as well. That falls in line with the, the body scan exercise that I'll, I'll often have people do kind of going through and looking for, you know, what are my muscles doing? What's my heart doing? Am I breathing um, fast or shallow? You know, what are my shoulders doing? Are they, you know, up here by my ears? Are they, you know, down lower? And then that can be a clue to, yeah. Am I feeling tense or anxious about something? Am, am I off task? Whatever, whatever the case may be. So many, yeah. things, so many clues. Erin, yeah. can you share again for, for us why you chose CBT when you were going through um, your schooling initially? Yeah, it was the method that had the most research support into its effectiveness. Effectiveness. Basically. Yay. Yeah. That sounds like a Yeah. Plan. And that's not to, to say that there aren't other approaches that have value as well, but in terms of 
kind of quickly and, and it's very transparent. Um, so it really, it teaches you how to do it yourself so that you have the, the tools. You're not just relying on, on a therapist to interpret things for you and, you know, have things kind of magically change. Um, so you, you kind of learn, this is, this is a tool I can use when I'm feeling this way so that you, I'm kind of training people to not need me anymore. My, my goal is to have people be independent and, and not have to rely on me to tell them how to help themselves feel better over time. Wow. Okay. So you're not into cre creating dependencies. That's good. I'm not either. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to repeat that again. It is the most effective way to create new habits and behaviors that are sustainable and right. routines that are sustainable. And I'm speaking from personal experience here on the routines you know, most, we, we, we think of all the reasons that people, you know, write about, about the purpose of routines and why they're helpful and effective. Let me give you one that's not often written about for me personally that I learned. And that is that these routines that you learn when working with a professional or multiple professionals, um, they, we, we are all human, right? There was a point where I really, Aaron, I feared relapse, right? I was petrified of relapse. And I would imagine lots of people can relate to that on any kind of recovery journey. Mm -hmm. However, I, I don't think I relapsed hard, but there were times, like there was like periods where it would be a month or two. And, and I, but what I found with the routines that I established to your point was that they also provided a safe landing space with which I could use to return back to mm -hmm. and get myself back on track. Right. And that's one of the biggest things is preparing people. Like you will relapse most likely, but you can keep it from getting bad. If you remember, like you've probably slipped on some of these skills and you can go back to them and they can help again, just like they helped the first time. And listeners, the reason why I think that this is such a like we've got a leg up in the tech space because we know how to test and iterate with different actions, whether it's, you know, prospecting or if, if it's, we're talking about product launch and go to market fit, um, uh, go to market launches or product market fit exercises. We know how to test and iterate with different tactics until we find what works. There are to Aaron, I'm, I love that Erin is so knowledgeable. Not as not, she's not only just a PhD in, in CBT, but level three, which is that's, that's baller and has studied under like the, what with the originator of the. So like the that. level What's three is in, yeah. in um, team CBT, which is a, one of the approaches you can get certified through the Feeling Good Institute, which is using the work of Dr. David Burns, who is one of the founders of CBT. He studied, studied um, directly under Aaron Beck, who is largely known as like the main founding father of uh, CBT. And, and Beck also has an institute that does certification. I have taken a course, but have not done certification from his, um, somebody who's through his institute. Um, but he kind of developed it into kind of a, Dr. Burns developed it into something a little bit broader. First, he was the first person who brought it to like lay people, I guess, in terms of, instead of writing scholarly articles, he was, he wrote like books for people to be able to use themselves. Okay. So when you said team 
applications. Are you talking about like a group therapy sessions? That's a good question. Cause it sounds like, right. So team is actually an acronym for the approach or methodology. So the T stands for testing. And so I have people fill out measures at the beginning and end of every session that checks in on depression, anxiety, anger, um, positive feelings, suicidal thoughts, those kinds of things um, to really track the work. Uh, the E stands for empathy. So it's really very empathy heavy. It's very much like, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I want you to tell me what your goals are, what you wanna work on, and I'm gonna help you to get to those goals. I'm gonna tell you the best way I know to get to those goals. But if you're, it's, it's very respectful of whether you're will, willing to, to do those things or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really leans into resistance. It looks at, you know, what's good about the thoughts and feelings. I think traditionally old school CBT was just like, no, you're, you know, those are, those thoughts and feelings are bad and you need to get rid of them to be okay. And, and the A in team is really about what's good that. about it. What, yeah. what are ways that these are serving you or have served you? I love that. And the, so the M stands for what? No, the M's the methods. Oh, the so methods. that's where we get into that experimental method of figuring out which tools are going to work for you, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of tools that we know work for some people but we don't know for you as an individual, what's going to work best. So yeah, we're we all special snowflakes, Aaron. Yes, that's right. Uh, so we help you to kind of find the keys to your own uh, recovery, I guess. And then, then you have it. Forever and ever. And so then level three means like I have taken a certain number of course hours and then I passed an oral um, exam with some of the higher level Master. So this is what I'm hearing. Just absolute master. Okay. So listeners, I'm going to include in the show notes, a link to our conversation on Aaron and and David's show, Psych and Sales, where I break down the tactics that ended up working for me. And also more of the backstory on, so to Aaron's point about the it's not just, you know, the, you know, early iterations of, of CBT that thought of, you know, negative thoughts and feelings as being a bad thing. It was society. And not only that, it's society also, at least in the West, right? I, I don't know enough about like in the East, but in the West, it's not a very um, welcome conversation. And it's certainly not something that we converse about with our children. And that's like quadruply so for men. That said, when I was first learning to sell, I misinterpreted a book that I read somewhere or something, right? And it was certainly not taught to me either. And I thought that the way to continue to operate, to maintain my performance through the uncertainty, through the doubt, through the fear, through the rejection, through the blah, 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 fill in the blanks, we all know these things, um, was to not feel anything, not, and not, I aspired to not feel anything bad. And I, I was also reading a lot about behavior change, right? From the context of how can I help my, my prospects make better, stronger decisions, despite it being a little bit scary. And so, and also habit stuff. So I was very good at reinforcing what I wanted to do, which was at that point, feel nothing bad. The, the joke, the universal joke on me was that there is no icing out 
just bad feelings. Number one, right? If you're going to ice them out, uh, you know, the bad, like you're going to ice them all away. And as so, so I got very good at that to the point where until I felt absolutely nothing, I felt nothing. And then my emotions revolted. Um, and that was after about 10 years. This is something I, so I covered this in um, an article, which we'll, I'll put in the show notes, but it's also, we talk about it on Aaron's show. Um, and I, I, I had to set like part of my story involves selling while, while being a woman. Right. And so it was in the middle of me too. I had just moved to San Francisco and it was almost like a PTSD thing. All the things that I had not felt, didn't acknowledge for a decade. And then some came crashing down on me and I didn't have any of the tools to even engage with normal everyday feelings, let alone an onslaught of a decade's worth of like highly traumatic ones or any kind of version in between. And so it got like that, that was, that was the, that was the thing and checked myself in. Right. And so then the rest continues from there. And so do, like, do not, do not do what I did or right. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, but anyway, what Aaron is describing the work that Aaron's doing with children is to get in front of all these things. And, um, and even with the show with Aaron and David, like talking about how important it is for us and in this profession specifically to figure out the right ways to interpret and understand ourselves and our feelings and how they're connected to our actions um, in, a, in a healthy and productive way so that we do not burn out. And I'm talking to top performers and underperformers alike. Um, and Aaron, so now back to the idea of like, here's some of the positives that I have since learned about my negative emotions. Every emotion for me now is, or every feeling is an opportunity to learn something new, especially like the, the, like I've, I have since learned that I have created some really strong value judgments around information, right. Or withholding information or, or data. Um, but anyway, I have extra strong reactions when I see that happening around me, which do not help anyone. And so every time I have a heightened reaction to something, I have learned to, to do nothing in that time, just like smile, nod, keep going, and, but journal about it later until I figure out where did this come from, why and how. And the aha moments that I have had, including here's another one. And this is something listeners that I cover um, on the Mercy episode. We talk about hypervigilance. Erin, I was raised in a town that was, is now a super fun site. So there's cancer in the water and children were dying. My parents were very, so like, I know what it's like to fear for your life as a kid. I also observed my parents who were very active politically. Um, and so the it's interconnected with the school board, right? So this, the school board superintendent, he's still in federal prison. Um, it then be, it became a super fun site, but the last school that was created was named after Sibakagi, the water company, right? So it was all connected. My dad um, and his friends and my mom and their friends would take turns running for school board, right? Just to do what they could do. When it was my dad's turn, there was so there was a pipe bomb actually put in the tailpipe of our car at 3 a.m. in the morning. Oh wow. Okay. So there's that. There was the nasty articles that were written in the Asbury Park Press, but during the time when you were learning about current events in sixth grade and the teacher had to make a rule. No more. But anyway, so I it was this weird thing with like I, I associated the harm that I saw happening around me in my head with someone could die. 
Yeah. And operated in the sense of hypervigilance that probably didn't help with the breakdown either. But anyway, so when I was less, when I, when I learned how to see the positive in these really strong reactions that I would have in certain instances, they then became an opportunity to learn something deeper and real about myself so that I can correct any limiting beliefs or value judgments that were formed, you know, as a child for, you know, based on like not, not real things or what well, they were real, but like, you know what I'm saying? And so I get like gratitude is another massive one, but also like, it's just basically an opportunity to practice understanding that I am not my thoughts and feelings, the bad ones, mm-hmm. and that I don't have to feed them. I don't have to buy into them. And I can just, you know, let them visit like the guest house, the roomy poem. Mm-hmm. And it's every time that I do practice, I get a little bit stronger and same thing with actions, like not acting out of anger, right? Just give it time and patience. So my intention for the year is patience. And so with that, I'm a big fan of a, and I went on that diatribe because we don't talk about the upside of learning this stuff and, or of, of the negative emotions. And so I support that and friends and listeners, I meant every damn word there every damn word. And so um, for more information, do everything Erin says and everything that she writes, pick up her book and also listen to her show on a consistent basis because like she's got the keys to the kingdom. Um, all right. So Erin, like what else, like what, how, what, what else have you seen based on the show and what you know about the sales profession, the tech sales profession by way of either issues or problems or even opportunities for ways that we can use what we now know about science and CBT and our brains to help make the profession more fun, less ugly, right? And by ugly, I'm talking about the dead bodies of humans that we burn through. Like what, what say, what do you think? What have you learned? Well, I mean, it's, it's a very type A profession. Um, there's a lot of pressure to perform to achieve and a lot of um a high that comes from when you when you when you are achieving so it's achievement addiction is really um very strong throughout I think the the field yeah and it's trained and if you don't have it already it's going to be highly encouraged it's society too yeah we we like certain things of winners okay yeah um, and so being able to separate yourself from your performance and how you can value yourself as a person, regardless of how you perform, is one of the biggest things that I think we've seen from people. And when, when people are not able to do that, eventually, it, usually it, they're, they're, they're stopping their negative emotions and eventually it winds up catching up to them in, in a variety of different ways, whether that be burnout or strange physical symptoms or um, like a mental breakdown of some kind that just your body just says, I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, And yeah, heart conditions, like it's all the, all the things, all this is a taxing aspect on your body. Right. And Mm -hmm. there's the cortisol that is a back in the day was designed to be just a one drop hit when you saw a lion like hurry up and get your ass out of the way. But now right. the way that cortisol is, it- it's constant, you're flooded with it and it doesn't have anywhere to go. And, and it hurts your body. It hurts your heart. It 
causes you to store fat in your abdomen, which is also bad for your heart. It's damaging to your cells. It can cause immune problems in the long run if you're having chronic stress. Um, it becomes a cycle with self-medication through either alcohol or drugs or sedentary lifestyles or um, sugar, food, uh, things that further create damaging conditions in your body, causes yeah. inflammation, which is associated with depression. It's a whole cycle. It's all, yeah. and they're all connected. What about the upside though? So I'm thinking about like taking what we learn about brain plasticity, right? After operating with a professional for a while and figuring out that, holy shit, I'm, I'm a different person. I am, you know, that was a, a, a shit ton of work, right? Consistently, yeah. right? Because there's no shortcuts, but I'm, a, I'm better and stronger for it now. Like what, what have you seen on that front? I think when people have been able to separate themselves from their number, they've actually not only been happier and healthier, but performed better on average than, than they did when they were overly tied to their numbers. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for growth because, um, because it is such a stressful profession. There's a lot of opportunities to practice. Um, so learning, you know, how to have the difficult conversations, learning the value. And this is one of the things that David and I worked on a lot that he talks about on our show that, you know, he thought that he, his anxiety was necessary in order to be a top performer. Mm -hmm. um, and when we were able to kind of break down, you know, how was it helping him to, mm -hmm. to be anxious like that? And mm -hmm. also were there ways that maybe it was not helping him and was there an alternative to the anxiety that could meet those same positive outcomes that, that wasn't um, creating as, as much cortisol in him, mm -hmm. then he was able to actually let go of some of it more. And it didn't impact his performance negatively, but it did make a big difference in how he was feeling. And then, you know, that trickles down to the stress in our house as well. Um, that Yahtzee so, right there, there's no connecting yeah. it. When you're carrying that anxiety, and the swings like that impacts everyone around you. And yeah. um, so I, I, I want to add something to that, that it's, so it's, I, yes, I, I second everything that you just shared by, and then multiply it by a thousand. And I'm reminded of the tagline on my LinkedIn profile, right? Injecting more joy into the profession. Okay. Listener friends, we live in a society, right? So, so again, Western society, Western cultures have, we define success, like the collective defines success as it's based on an outcome. For our purposes, let's say when I make my quarter, when I buy my house, when I get married, when I have a child, when, 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 when. The reality is that that is not, <laughs> that's not accurate. That's not how it works. The only place that we can experience happiness and joy is in the present moment. And more importantly, if our profession, when we allow that, that society's definition of success to carry into like how we look at our role and our job, it impacts us as sellers, like 10 X more because our outcome never comes right. You, you hit your month, you hit your number, you hit your quarter, excuse me. 
starts over. <laughs> what do you have a, like a weekend or a week to enjoy it? And then it starts all over again. And so, um, what, what I would, what I would add to that is that, you know, it's a big, it's, it's hard to do and it takes some work and some practice. This is why working with a coach and a professional while, while getting started is like just priceless. However, a big part of, um, learning how to thrive and maintain in, in a well and healthy way is disassociating from that definition of success um, and, and looking more at incremental progress. So am I, first of all, gratitude, right? And looking and celebrating those wins along the day with you and your team, right? Any kind of win, including the failures that we can learn from, which are also wins, but also um, getting a little bit better every single day. And that is where happiness and joy comes from. And that is the, the healthy way to, um, you know, I'll almost kind of reframe <laughs> because if you don't do that, right, if you're waiting for your company to change and to like, you know, magically fix everything and change all the systems, like oh, you're going to be waiting, happen. you're going to be waiting for a long time. And so hopefully it will happen in our lifetime, Erin, but you know, for right now, you know, it's, it's on, it's on you. And really you're the only, we as individuals are the only ones that can do the work on ourselves. What would you, what would you say to that, Erin? I absolutely agree with that, that, you know, it may, it may come from a systematic, a systemic place. Um, in a lot of ways it does just not even just within the business, but, you know, our, our Western culture is very much built on doing and achieving um, and that that somehow creates value and is supposed to create happiness, which it generally doesn't um, because, you know, there's always something more to be chased. Um, but being able to find ways to make meaning of your own experience, find joy in your own experience and, and differentiate yourself from that outcome or the expectations is, is huge. Massive. And I think that's where neuroplasticity comes in a lot. You know, we used to think that people's brains were done developing by, you know, first it was three and then it was like 15 and it was like 25. But it, while there's some truth to those being developmental markers. They're moldable, and, yeah. Right, it, that's, it doesn't stop that. It never right, stops. Right. Um, we can continue making new pathways short of having a, like a degenerative disease we can continue making new pathways. And one of the ways we do that is by focusing our attention in certain ways. Um, when we're focused, it actually releases certain neurotransmitters and creates physical pathways in our brain um, that kind of wires them together because the, the neurons are kind of bathed in those neurotransmitters as they're firing together. When Would we're you speak trying more to yeah. Would you speak more about these, the actual actions that, so I'm reminded of, I think it was Jennifer something. She wrote that book biased about, and it, it covered, I, I referenced it in the article, but I love that you shared a, something I looked on on LinkedIn. You had shared something about neuroplasticity and it was spot on. So I'll, I'll put that in the show notes, the post that you had. However, what would you share for, for me also and the listeners, what are, what do you mean by that? And what are some of the exact actions that someone can take to focus on developing new neural pathways, right? New habits, okay. right? For an easier word yeah. um, that 
is that is actually factually accurate, right? So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people are trying to take down this idea that it takes three weeks to create a habit. And so like, what, tell us, tell us everything that you can, what do we do? How do we create new ways of being or thinking so, or operating? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's simple and it's complicated at the same time. Um, so I'll take simple for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm talking about neural pathways, I'm talking about like kind of connections where where there's like a, a quick connection between one thing and, and the next in our brains. And, and just even within terms of learning, like being focused on one thing. So one thing that you can do that people are very bad at is take away distractions. Because literally when you get distracted, it interferes with that process of creating that pathway, which is where learning happens. So it makes it harder to learn. It makes you less likely to remember when, when you're distracted by other things than when you're focused on, on one thing at a time. So cutting out distractions, putting your phone away, closing other windows down and pop-ups and all of that when you're, when you're working would be one way of, of creating those. Um, mindfulness practices are, are another thing that you can do is just sitting and being aware and focusing on one thing at a time. And when you notice your mind starts to wander away, bring it back to that. So really it's simplifying. Um, when we create those new pathways, the old ones don't go away. They just become less used. So they're not going to be the, the, the quickest response, but they're still there. And under times of stress, you, you might go back to them. Um, sometimes they need some reinforcing. So in, in my book, when I'm explaining this to kids, I, I kind of say it's almost like there's a painting and you're painting on top of it, but the new paint might get kind of worn away sometimes and you've got to go back and, and touch it up. So you can still see the old picture through under certain circumstances. Um, so it's not neuro replacement. It's there's new paths. Those paths might get stronger than the old paths, but they're not completely going away. And and there might be things that you need to re-strengthen the new pathway sometimes. Okay. I want to do a part two and have you come back on the show to talk about this, like exactly. Um, it's funny, the beginning of the Marcus Chan episode, the one that went live yesterday, I talk about how it was our first conversation, but we had one book like six months prior. And I do this at like, so AD, like I've learned how to, there are no, I, this, the sound is not on, on my phone. Right. So every time that sound goes off, that is those apps and that device is, has trained and conditioned us to grab our attention, not to mention the shortening attention spans. Anyway. Yeah. Aaron, will, will you come back and we can, I, I really would like to dig deep in this because I, um, yeah. All right. So what is the hardest conversation or actually do you mind? Do you want to do this again? It, to, whenever. Sure, yeah, we can, we Amazing. can do it again. Can I just real quick finish up sure. that with the, the CBT and mm -hmm. the things that you learn in CBT would also be one way of creating the, the new pathways because it's helping you to make those connections and figure out, you know, how do I feel in a certain situation? What is good about the feelings that I'm having? What thoughts are driving those feelings? What since it, so is, you're, you're, you're also your working with a professional in to yeah. connect all of those things to help you understand it. And once mm -hmm. you understand it, you can start to shift it. And yeah. so it actually can create that neuroplasticity, the new pathways in your, your brain and new ways of being to go through that process. And it happens a lot quicker 
than most and, people would would assume and the even the historic science right and i'm thinking of also stoicism too and, and practicing specifically like the a right it's i think the latin phrase is amor fate love fate not just mm -hmm. radical accept, acceptance but learning to love um whatever it is and yeah. okay so that's it <sighs> I and love then, this. I could do this all day, Aaron Jesus. Do you have a hard stop? If you want to keep going, like we do not, but I need I 10. Can, I don't have a hard stop. Well, I do if, at, at four, though not at 3.30. So just to, to make this a little more complete, you'd asked about um, DBT and where that fits in. Yeah, give me everything. Don't feel rushed. Give me everything. Just know we need like eight minutes before your okay. hard stop. Yeah. I will just, after this, that would probably be a good transition, but I want to make sure to kind of wrap up. You do you girlfriend, you got, like the, you got the reins. Um, so DBT is a form of CBT. So it's not different. Um, it is considered to be a, the third wave. So ACT and DBT, and I think mindfulness-based cognitive therapy fall under what we call the third wave of cognitive behavioral therapies. And basically, those are the ones that more closely marry the East and the West. Um, I think Team CBT falls into that largely as well, because under the methods section, we can pull in methods from DBT, methods from ACT, methods that have to do with acceptance instead of um, fighting off the emotions. But that's anything that brings in mindfulness and more kind of Eastern practices. Yeah. I'm bringing them together. That right. Makes but sense. it's still a form of CBT. Interesting. Okay. That makes, that makes, that actually makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I have a question. How, if, so let's say for our listeners, if someone is looking to um, suss out, right. So in better help, just here's a perfect example. It's not uncommon to, as a counselor, right. Put in a bunch of different methodologies. And mm -hmm. it's, this is why, how I finally got off the, the platform, because I was, I was explicit when I was trying to match with someone, when, when my love Dr. Stella, um, she took a pause, uh, after a year, but she changed my, my, she rocked my world anyway, but she, um, or I, I put in explicitly in the matching stuff. This is what I'm looking for. You know, please do. And it was like, I was trying, I was being sold, like there were counselors and I know you're, they're looking for work and I don't begrudge anyone that, but I'm, I would imagine I'm not the only one that felt that, you know, you say you, this is what you're looking for and everyone can say, oh yes, we can, we do variations that, or we do that, or I'm this and this and this and this and this and this and without the, like the, the, without the backstory or the experience to know that, you know, that you can only serve one master. And if it's mm, anyway, so how would you, what kind of advice would you give our listeners who, who are shopping for or looking for, um, the right therapist partnership and, or making decisions about how far they're willing to travel, um, based on, you know, looking for that, that right partnership and why it may be worth it to go a little bit further, right. To, to find somebody with, with this specialization, but what, what kind of, what kind of help would you give to anyone that's in that situation? Um, see if you can ask some questions first about how they approach different situations. Um, if someone is certified in some form of CBT or DBT, that's probably a good sign. 
Um, but I, it's, it's tough because there's different ways of approaching CBT. And honestly, even from one patient to the next, I'm not necessarily always following the same methodology or formula based on how they present to me and what, what they are asking for and what they need. Um, but also being willing to give feedback. So if, if you're not getting what you were looking for, being willing to say, okay, this is not what I was, you know, when I said CBT, this is not what I had in mind. This is, this is where this is feel like it doesn't fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes people don't realize that what they're doing is not, they're not mind reading. They're, they're, yeah. they're not mind readers either. And I'm also yeah. chuckling yeah. listeners. We know something about adjusting our styles based on our special snowflake buyers and buying teams, right? There's never one size fits all. That's a, a poor way to approach anything. It's just, right. therapists I, are really bad at kind of knowing how they're doing. Um, they think they're great at it, but we're not. Um, we, we need, we need feedback as far as, you know, what's working, what's not working. What about on the front, like on the front is what I'm trying to spare people is there's a labor intensiveness to like, yeah, of course there is. And then you get started and you've shared everything and then you don't have to do it all over again. Right. right? So how can we make strong decisions initially without like before getting into the share feedback when it's not what you expected? I mean, if you've had an experience, you know exactly what you're looking for. I would see if you can like either by email or a quick phone call say, here are specifically like the things that I'm looking for, or like, here's what's worked for me and what hasn't. Do you do these things? Um, And what about for those that have never done those things? Well, you can borrow mine, message me and I'll give you a list of things like, here's what worked (laughs) for me. And, but then ask other people, right. To find out what worked for them. Jeff actually comes to mind, listen to the second sales podcast, every guest on there. I'm sure we'll share things that work for them. Mm -hmm. Um, They all do. Yeah. What what else for the first timer? Yeah. Asking what their methodology is, you know, are they using CBT? Do they give homework? Um, do they give additional resources? Like I like to give people books and, and podcasts and other things like that in addition to our sessions and homework so that they can make faster progress and get additional information that they don't have to spend their money on having me explain because they, they can have it explained somewhere else and then maybe ask me questions to clarify and kind of save some of that time and energy. Um, do they give homework assignments? What kind of assignments might they give you? Um, you want someone who's going to give you something to work on between sessions because the goal is to incorporate what you're learning in session into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we so, learn by doing. So right, exactly. Perfect sense. Yeah. So that would be another thing that um, I would ask. Um I mean, those were fabulous. That was those fantastic. are kind of the biggest things. Yeah, those yeah. were that, that's plenty, of listeners. If you if you can't work with that, then you know, I uh, the, I would suggest the problem is, lies elsewhere. Um, okay, so Aaron, I mean, there's two things. It's making space at work for those with different brains or different than mm-hmm. the norm, and then it's also the front man like frontline manager skill development on the basics of of the brain and the profession. And I'm like, I'm, I'm secretly hoping that you and David have like a secret, like another program and it like a, a curriculum, you know, outlined somewhere uh, on the manager skill development piece, but like injecting more of this, this knowledge into how we on board new managers, first time managers and, or 
whatever, because without the awareness, without the skills, um, there's like zero chance of being able to help your team learn how to manage their own brains and, or optimize their own brains, or even not, not do things that are actually hurting based on like the filter bubble or, you know, the conventional wisdom that is since long outdated, but no one has done obviously one Google search on where the, where productivity and performance actually come from. Like, you know, cough, autonomy, creativity, art, um, and science mixed together, uh, just to name a couple happiness. <laughs> what, what, you know, what do I know though? But what, like, what do you, what, what do you think about, have you heard, or are you looking at either of those things from like a workplace perspective and skill yeah, development? I mean, I think that that's an area that David is really very strong in because he's, he's gone through that progression himself and he's gone from being probably a not very good leader, um, which he would admit, in, you know, in the, in the beginning to, um, you know, getting a lot of really positive feedback from people about his, his style. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the problems is there's not a lot of training for managers. Well, yeah, this is what I'm saying. The skill yeah. development programs, there, there, I'm secretly hoping the two yeah. of you are, well, I, yeah. there's, there's, so I, Kevin Dorsey, Katie comes to mind. Um, Derek Jankowski comes to mind. Scott Lee's book, more right. than a number comes to mind. There are people few need to and far between own. though, yeah. Yeah. but it, we're, aren't doing it. we're trending yeah. up but it's, it's in its infancy. Right. And yeah. so, but between you and David, this is what I'm saying. Like mm -hmm. whatever you guys would come up with, like, I just, I, I, like, I, um, <laughs> consider That's this my inception, idea. my inception yeah. seed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we don't have a, a, a process that I can outline for you in place right now that we've talked about together. Um, but I do know that, you know, this idea that just, Oh, Risley too a good manager or a good salesperson doesn't mean that you, you know how to like, don't expect your salespeople to do it the same way you did. Mm -hmm. Um, just it's have those conversations with them. It's a more about like understanding and guiding and leading them and, you know, giving them ideas, inception, like, Hey, what do you think about this? Or would you try this and let's see how it goes. And, um, you know, so you know how we treat SDRs, right? Like we manage what they do down to the day and task, right? I, that's I know. the, that's the norm. That's the norm in the tech circle. And we've got a massive filter bubble and it's yes. like this, especially, so I'm laughing about the technical acumen as being a, um, right. So we promote people based on their technical, technical acumen, right. If they know it, mostly men really, but that's I don't know, hopefully starting to change a little bit, but the numbers are going backwards. So what do I know? Um, but it's one of many, it's like, there's a lot of things that make for great managers. And I think Google did the best with their project oxygen about talking about this. Uh, so they did the study at Google, right? It's in the, it's in the mental health article and we cover it on Aaron's episode. So I'm not going to waste breath on it here. However, um, we got a lot of work to do in sales. And so, yeah, if, if, if you guys need a brainstorm partner or, you know, I, I, I have spent some time in, in adult learning now after creating two departments in seven years. And so I would be delighted to, uh, you know, whiteboard together, but you know, to no pressure, take your time, <laughs> like whatever. We can add this, yeah. Right, right now we're, you guys got your hands full. We, we do, but I, it is a great idea and it is a really needed thing. Um, and I would just say to anyone who's going into managing right now to not expect it to come from your company and not expect that just because you were good at sales means that you know how to manage people effectively and to then seek out 
some some coaching from someone who's you know doing it more effectively if possible um like david he's always open to coaching and, and several other people as well i guess that you you've mentioned are all kind of doing that but it is i think that's a great opportunity for um and something businesses would be well served to become more aware of because the micromanaging style is much more common even sometimes up to the the ae level i've seen oh yeah Oh, yeah. And, you know, even the first frontline managers, like there's an aspect of them not being allowed to deviate either. And, yes. or like, there's a lot of, if I've, this is what worked for me as a sales VP. Right. And so this is what we're going to keep doing. Um, right. there's, and, or it's the filter bubble, right? This is the misaligned compensation. So in tech, right. Chasing after unicorns, right. So they want us to hit, you know, a billion dollar valuation in a short period of time, mm -hmm. pay no attention to all the bodies that are dropping around you. Right. We, and mm -hmm. so there's a, there's a lot of factors and, um, yeah, I think you're right. It is a massive opportunity, but at the same time, listener friends, for anyone that is thinking about moving into leadership and, or has just started, I think a, a, a pretty solid exercise after reaching out um, to David and or Aaron and listening to their show is to seek out um, a, a professional, a CBT professional and go through the exercise yourself because there's no better way to learn. Yeah. Do. I think also just when you're picking your, your job, mm. the, like the company, that's going to mm. be important because there may not always be the opportunity to lead in the way that you want to be able to lead. And so kind of asking those questions about the managerial style. I mean, you gotta, it's, it's, you gotta work for the right leader. It's, it's not just the right company. It's also the right leader. So finding out what their style is and what's the turnover rate and their different levels, like the level you're going into, as well as like the next one to two levels up. Um, because I mean, just things I've observed yeah, I'm, I'm laughing. The, the episode that goes live tomorrow. I told, did I say this already um, about the, uh, like the coaching session? So I'm being coached on transitioning and um, sussing out leadership. So I know, and so, but it's like a public therapy session. I, it's like, I'm still kind of shitting my pants a little bit about that, but that's tomorrow <laughs> um, because I have um, blown past lots of red flags and, or, you know, whatever, not, not done enough due diligence on that front. And I think part of that was from, you know, after, like when your confidence takes a hit like that after the mental health stuff, also the pills, right. I was on like lithium for four years, you know, like it's just, yeah, yeah. but anyway, so I had a lot of experiences. Um, and so I, but that's tomorrow, but also I, I second everything that you say, but I feel very, I feel like a moral obligation to you know, kind of make that, make that jump and move in that direction towards leadership to, you know, develop some proof of concepts, um, to be socialized on very much like your husband is doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds exciting to work for a certain company a lot of times, but really like not, mm -mm. um, one of the things that, you know, I, I've heard people talk about is like, um, if, if like unicorns or whatever, you know, if, doesn't matter where your seat on the rocket ship is just jump on the ship because it's going to the moon and either way you get there or like no really don't do that <laughs> you know it does it's, matter it's what not seat worth you're it on. well first and of all it does matter what what the you know in the conditions on the ship are 
um, it's not, it's not just about, you know, writing, writing it up. So well said, well said, well said on like multiple fronts. And also I would add just one final caveat to that is, and <laughs> the, even the way, the way it's positioned about like the shares or the ownership, like it's often over-promised. And so even in a perfect universe where things go perfectly, whether it's an, an exit pre-IPO or an IPO, even though I would say IPO is the move because it suggests longevity, right? Um, and impact as opposed to like, not all acquisitions are created equal anyway, but that said, <laughs> there's a lot of over-promising. Well, and it's like, uh, what's the quality of life? Like, what's it really worth to you? Well, even know it, there's over-promising on get you on. You might not get what they ship. say. Yeah, ex that's exactly right there. Yeah. There's and, and even if you are, you know, you it's have to ask it. yourself, is it, is it worth, is mm -hmm. it worth whatever the cost is? And sometimes maybe it's yes, but you know, I've, we, we, because, you know, David and I are married, have, have walked away from you know, if, if he stayed this much longer, he might have gotten this much more money, but in the end it was not worth it. Not not worth, worth it. it at some point in, in certain companies. Yeah. Man, Aaron, you're a breath of fresh air. Okay. So what's the hardest conversation that you've ever had to have in a revenue context, like most uncomfortable conversation? For me, it's actually going to be work-related, the most uncomfortable, um, because I'm in a helping profession and I don't have a secretary or biller or anything. So when I'm having to collect from somebody who hasn't paid and especially when I, and I'm, I'm really honestly very bad about this. I say, I'm going to charge for missed sessions. If someone just doesn't show up or if they give me a late cancellation, unless, you know, I try to be reasonable about it. If they're like, sick or, you know, there was an emergency in the family or something, you know, I don't want to be a jerk about it, but I just, I just forgot or something better came up. I've reserved that time. I can't see can't somebody else during yeah. that time. Yeah. That's my livelihood. Mm -hmm. um, but I get really uncomfortable with it and I'm not good at having those conversations. So especially if it comes to like charging someone for a missed session, mm -hmm because I don't want to look like I'm just in it for the money. Um, and so that's for me, the hardest, the hardest conversation and one that I honestly have not mastered because it's so uncomfortable for me. I've, I've eaten a lot of that loss. Hmm. Money. Such a, such an interesting topic. Talk about the psychology. I, so my dad has a financial services brokerage. Like you want to talk about it, having some interesting conversations, like sit down with a pair of spouses that are hiding things from one another, not enough money later, like whatever, but it's, that is a, a charged topic for sure. And I hear you about that. Um, interesting. Interesting. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for yeah. being real on that one. Um, okay. Final question or final thing. What is one piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations. It, it, flying in the face of the last thing I just said. <laughs> um, learning to have them <laughs> and to not run away from them. Um, so I, I think first 
preparing in advance, like coming up with a plan for how, what you want to say. Um, and especially if it's something that happens over and over again, having it or that you know is coming, having a plan for what you want to say, making sure that you're, you're doing it in a way that's very respectful of the other person. So not overly demanding or critical where you're kind of getting where they're coming from and saying some positive things about them, even if you're also trying to correct them and then practicing, like write it out, say it in the mirror, you know, just get used to create that pathway of being able to get those words to come out of your mouth. Um, Even like visually imagining yourself in the situation and saying those things and then doing it. And that's, uh, we actually talked about that in a recent Psych and Sales. I think it's the one that came out last week um, that David posted about eating the frog um, with- um, Oh yes, I know about that, eating the frog. uh, Oh gosh, I'm- uh, I'll pull it up, keep keep going, I'll I'll look. Yes, but um, you know, one one of the things we talked about was just that, like, you're gonna regret it more probably if you don't have the conversation Mm -hmm. than just facing that discomfort in the moment that will then be passing. And the more you do it, the more natural it becomes, the more easily it comes out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's to the point of eating the frog too, there is start your day with it, right. Or do the hardest thing first, because if not, it's going to be on your mind all day. And that's, that doesn't help. Uh, Jake Dunlap. Yes. CEO scaled. Okay. Excellent. I'll throw that episode in there too. Awesome. All right. Aaron Weiss, Dr. Aaron Weiss. Um, congratulations on the book. I think that is awesome. Like what, as I said, I would give an appendage to have learned about myself and about this stuff as a child, but again, but it's one thing to say that. And it's one thing to talk about it, even as a professional, right? Look at that gap in the market. Like we look at all these children, they don't know, but then to do something about it is massive. And I'm excited for, for you. I'm excited for those that are wise enough to buy this book for their children, nieces, nephews, cousins, neighbors, classrooms. I mean, you can use it even as an adult. I've gotten it that feedback from some adults like, or like, hell it takes a, it takes a village to raise a child. And so like every child that, you know, should have a copy of this book, the moment that they're born. And so I'll, I'll, I'll just go ahead and put a link to the, to Amazon and the, <laughs> into the book so, uh, in this. Yeah. Show and that's too. really focused specifically on mostly anxiety, although it does touch on some other feelings. Um, and I, I also like my parenting course is a lot on helping kids with feelings and, you know, we'll put that into the show notes too. So the parenting course, the link to the parenting course will be in the show notes. Uh, Erin Weiss, how can people find you? Um, I would say LinkedIn, but I'm really honestly very, very terrible about responding on LinkedIn. You can ask Amy how long it takes me to get back to people on LinkedIn. And some people don't ever hear back from me. That is not, not my forte. Um, So you can connect with me there, but chances are we'll most likely not respond. Um, you can find me on my website, which okay. is HoustonFamilyPsychology.com. I do respond to emails that come into my inbox, um, but emails that come into my LinkedIn box. Yeah, don't do it. Enough said, listeners. Don't do that if you want to get a response, yeah. but I'll, I'll put the link to the website for the business um, in there as well. Erin, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to, I'll send you the link, not through the LinkedIn DM for <laughs> schedule it again. So we can, we can suss out this neuroplasticity stuff at some point in the future, but you're amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. Tell David, I said, hello. And you know, I, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on again. It was good talking to you today, Amy. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for investing the time with us today. It means the world. Truth, love, and joy, friends, and happy selling. Bye. Ooh. Man, that was heavy. But necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important. But I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Amy can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please, by all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but, you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal, we are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, Please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff. Legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come sit up on my lap. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to the, them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro, and that's a wrap.
I can't. I can't. I can't. So this is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because this is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations. And with everyone being so open and honest, um, I must be. So here goes. Um, as the outroer to the outroe, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I misled you intentionally. As your attorney, I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. Um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, but again, these are difficult conversations that we're, Amy's having with, with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So we can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness like the Mars rover. Maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.